White Sox Weekly, your two-hour all-access pass to everything White Sox. And it's pretty deep out and left, and this ball is gone. How about that? How about that timing? <laughs> this presentation of the ESPN 1000 Chicago White Sox Network is brought to you by Wintrust Bank and Mazda of Orland Park. Welcome on into another edition of White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I am Jeff Meller with you up until 5.30 today here on ESPN 1000 talking White Sox, talking about the most fantastic Major League Baseball trade deadline I have ever consumed. We saw 10 players who were all-stars this season change teams yesterday, or not just yesterday, but the period leading up to the trade deadline. And we also saw multiple other star players change teams, players who have been all-stars in the past who maybe didn't get there this year, but were certainly marquee names. We'll be talking about all of it today here on ESPN 1000, 312-332-3776. I'm Jeff Meller, and I'll be with you up until 530 uh, as the White Sox and Indians get set to take on each other in Game 2 after a White Sox winner yesterday, 6-4. to four. Interesting game. We saw a bit of a dust-up. Uh, we will talk about that. Your chance to sound off if you'd like. And let's get started, though, with, I think, what has all White Sox fans absolutely jacked. And that is the move, the addition that Rick Hahn made yesterday. The news sprinkled out probably sometime between 1230 and 1 o'clock Central yesterday that the White Sox were indeed going to land Craig Kimbrell. They were winning that sweepstakes, making a deal with the Northsiders, the crosstown trade, which is becoming more and more, uh, it's becoming more and more prevalent, apparently, between Rick Hahn and previously Theo Epstein and now Jed Hoyer. The two seem to have a great working relationship. Rick Hahn has found a good trading partner, not just Craig Kimbrell yesterday, but of course, Ryan Tapera as well earlier in the week. The White Sox add two key pieces to their bullpen, which makes a team that is currently 61 and 43 and in well and certainly in control of the American League Central, adding those two key pieces to the to the bullpen makes them all that much more formidable at during the playoffs. And so the White Sox look very good to go ahead and make a deep run. Rick Hahn has done all that he possibly can to go ahead and give Tony La Russa everything he needs to win in the playoffs. Let's hear from Rick, Rick Hahn. He addressed the media yesterday after the trade deadline did finally wind down, and he talked about what he was able to do at the deadline. Terry Garcia and Danny Mendick both did a very solid job filling in uh, in the absence of Nick Madrigal. Uh, but we felt moving Lurie into the super utility role in which he had thrived for the last several years was of the utmost importance. And we wanted to find uh, some stability day in and day out for the lineup in that second base position. Uh, Cesar provides us with someone who not only obviously comes with a gold glove resume and has found a nice power stroke over the course of this season, but as a switch hitter who provides a professional at bat to go with the solid defense and, and is a nice balancing factor for this lineup. Uh, to Para, uh, you know, he's had those in Chicago on this call who have covered both clubs knows how strong of a season he's had. He's been effective against both lefties and righties. They've used him in a variety of roles and he's a, a very fine get for, for any team uh, down the stretch run here. Uh, lastly, Craig Kimbrell, obviously the, the resume speaks for itself. You know, as I, as I discussed with Craig, 
few weeks ago, uh, Kenny and I asked each other, of all the players expected to be moved, let's assume we can only acquire one, who would it be? And he and I had the same answer, and, and that was the player we acquired today. There you- uh, we view him as uh, playing a key role here, obviously, over the next few months, getting us in position for the postseason. Uh, but come October, providing Tony and Ethan and, and Haas with a variety of weapons at the back end to help shorten games. My apologies, Rick. I jumped in there. I'm just so excited. I can't help myself as a White Sox fan. He mentioned at the outset there that Cesar Hernandez obviously was a player who they dealt for a couple days ago against the very Indians team that they're taking on today and in uh, the series this weekend. Cesar Hernandez, he mentioned, brings that gold glove caliber defense that they've been lacking as of late. And it proved to be critical because adding Hernandez, who has another year left on his deal after this season allowed the White Sox to go ahead and include Nick Madrigal in the deal that ultimately would land them Craig Kimbrell. Now, of course, they also added Cody Hoyer to that, and there were lots of Sox fans who were a little disappointed to see Nick Madrigal go. I'll have a lot more thoughts on that, but let's hear again from Rick Hahn, who talked about prioritizing now over the future. Parting with Nick Madrigal is not easy. Parting with Cody Hoyer is not easy. Jed will tell you if he hasn't told you already how much we fought on that. In the end, those were both key pieces from the Cubs' perspective in order to get the deal done. And we understood going into this process that the only way we were going to secure, especially Kimbrel, was by having the, the best offer. In the end, that was the cost, as I discussed both with Nick and Cody during uh, what I'm sure they both felt were surprising phone calls and that I didn't necessarily anticipate making this morning. We made a conscious decision to prioritize today over for distant future. Obviously, both Cesar and Craig are potentially under team control for next year, so we don't view this as a one-and-done situation with either player. But there was always going to come a point in the course of this rebuild process, as we had talked about from the start, when we had the opportunity to win and We had to respect those opportunities, and we had to do everything in our power as a front office to maximize those opportunities. And it wasn't going to be easy. We've had to move players in the past that were one when we were at the 180-degree opposite point of this rebuild, that it wasn't easy to move established guys, guys you had long-term relationships with, but it was necessary to move the process forward. Today was sort of the diametric opposite of those deals we made back at the winter of 2016. Moving players that we had different types of long-term relationships with, back to drafting them or acquiring them as kids. Uh, But it was essential for us, we feel, to put us in the best position to take the most important and final step in this process. Now, I think White Sox fans are certainly happy to hear Rick Hahn address the fact that they are prioritizing now over the future with this deal But the truth is, I do think that Rick Hahn is being a little coy there. Talked about how parting with Nick Madrigal was a difficult decision, but in the end, that's what it took. I'm not so sure that parting with Nick Madrigal ultimately was going to be any type of deal breaker for the White Sox. Certainly, everybody loves Nicky Two Strikes. You love the approach. He has given the Sox some big moments, a couple of walk-offs earlier this year that had a lot of people excited. But I think... The fact that Nick Madrigal was drafted as high as he was because of his ability to make contact with the ball and to go ahead and give you what was, I think a lot of people maybe expected Nick Madrigal to be a gold glove caliber 
defensive second baseman. And from what I had seen in 83 games at the major league level, I'm not buying into gold glove caliber defense. And if you're not going to provide any power, and I think it's clearly apparent that Nick Madrigal, if you get anything more, if you ever get to double-digit home runs from him in a full season, that will be a surprise and an outlier. Right now, he has hit two home runs in his major league career, and that is through 303 at-bats. You know, I know it's not perfect, but if you extrapolate that out over the course of a full season, you're looking at a guy who's going to homer five to six times a season. If that's all he's going to give you at second base, you would like to see someone who's going to give you potentially gold, gold glove caliber defense. And for the 317 batting average that he currently has in his major league career, he only brings a 358 on base. And I say only because certainly 358 is solid. But when you're going to be hitting close to 320, and you're only getting on base at a 358 clip with no power to speak of, and oh, by the way, no speed either, because he only had three stolen bases, you really have to wonder, okay, he makes contact, that's nice, but a 350 on base with no power is a very hollow number. And it's not, it's not 1980s baseball anymore, right? I, I think most people out there listening know that Batting average, you know, a 317 career batting average looks nice on paper, but when you divorce yourself from maybe that era and understand that a 358 on base is is nice, but with no power, really is not not bringing much to the table. Well, I think it was the perfect opportunity, considering that Nick Madrigal obviously wasn't going to return this season either with the torn hamstring. So you've got a guy who the hope was maybe could bring some speed to the lineup. And that really hasn't come to fruition at the major league level. And oh, by the way, now he's coming back from a torn hamstring and providing very little power. So while Nick Nick Madrigal got to the major leagues at a very fast pace, the truth is that I think you've probably seen what Nick Madrigal is. I'd be surprised if he does much more than what he's done in the small sample size that we've seen from him. I don't think he's really going to ever develop more than a, a 317 batting average. You know, he's like the era of a, of a guy being a 330 or 340 hitter doesn't really exist with the uh, prevalence of strikeouts in today's game. So I do think we've seen the best of Nick Madrigal. And so for the White Sox to part with Nick Madrigal as the key piece in this deal to land a second closer... A guy who right now is probably has probably given you the best overall stat line as a closer in all of baseball, which is saying something considering what Liam Hendricks has done for the White Sox. But as good as Liam Hendricks has done, and Sox fans are certainly familiar with that, as good as he's been this season, Craig Kimbrell has been absolutely locked down, untouchable. He has a .49 ERA in 36 and two-thirds innings pitched. He has struck out 64 hitters. He has been absolutely locked down a 0.70 whip just absurd and now he is going to pair with Liam Hendricks to give Tony La Russa an absolutely lethal bullpen and oh by the way Michael Kopech's there as well Ryan Tapera who even though last night wasn't necessarily what the White Sox were hoping for Ryan Tapera has had a nice season you have so many weapons at your disposal if you're Tony La Russa to close out a game he is going to feel very comfortable come October. And the fact that the White Sox are now currently nine games up 
on the Indians who, after last night's loss, dropped to 500. I mean, you can never say it's over, but this is about as over as it gets in a division race. And so now, as we haven't even hit August 1st yet, the White Sox are playing the waiting game of trying to keep everybody healthy. They're going to send their guys out there, but they're certainly, I think, going to pick their spots and limit their pitchers and ensure that they are ready to go as much as they possibly can be when the playoffs approach. And Rick Hahn did a brilliant job of doing exactly what he needed to do, landing Craig Kimbrell, who it seemed like might be the biggest trade piece at the deadline. Now, I think if you look at some of the moves that were made, when you look at Max Scherzer and Trey Turner going to Los Angeles, the Dodgers in a trade deadline deal that a lot of people maybe didn't expect the two to be comboed together, that is probably the biggest win of for any any actual contender. But in the American League, the White Sox did exactly what they needed to do by adding Craig Kimbrell. So I think if you're a White Sox fan yesterday, you were probably very excited. Maybe someone out there is a little disappointed with the fact that Nick Madrigal is not going to be a long-term piece on this team, but I just laid out for you why I am not concerned about that at all. Cody Hoyer, sure, he had a great season last year. He struggled a bit this year. He had moments where he looked good, where he was getting back to the guy who was potentially the player he was last season. But still, the consistency was lacking with Cody Hoyer, and he might have a bright future, but you're certainly not going to let that get in the way of acquiring Craig Kimbrell. And now the White Sox are set up for some postseason success, something that uh, I imagine all White Sox fans out there are very excited if you're excited, give me a call, 312-332-3776. Let me know what you think about the White Sox huge addition and also all the additions, Cesar Hernandez, Ryan Tapera, and where they are as they enter August in a great position, taking on the second-place Cleveland Indians today who are 50-50 and 50 and nine games out. Hey, join us at Guaranteed Rate Field on Wednesday, August 4th, as the White Sox take on the Kansas City Royals at 7.10 p.m. The first 10,000 fans will receive a retro White Sox t-shirt presented by Whittingham Meats. Visit whitesox.com to purchase your tickets today. I talked about how Tony La Russa is now set up with all these weapons at, your, at his disposal. I'll let you know exactly what he had to say about having all these folks there for him in his pen when we come back right here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Meller with you until 5.30 this evening when Jonathan Hood takes over for your White Sox pregame as they host the Cleveland Indians today in the second of a three-game set after last night's 6-4 to win. Been talking a lot about the White Sox huge addition of Craig Kimbrell yesterday. And I don't want to also neglect the fact that they also added Ryan Tapera and Cesar Hernandez. Both nice pieces. But, of course, Craig Kimbrell is the real game changer. You now have a second closer, if you will. And this has been done before. It's not the first time that a team has assembled some real lockdown relievers in their pen. And it's funny to me because when you look at relief pitchers, you look at them on the whole. And as you're entering a season... You can probably say, you know what, they can come out of nowhere. Oftentimes, a very good relief pitcher is a failed starter. You can unearth relief pitchers from almost anywhere. And so when they hit the free agent market, 
even though Liam Hendricks got a very nice deal from the White Sox, and he earned it, no doubt, and he has earned every penny this year so far, the truth is that I think baseball has come to the realization that those guys can be replaceable parts. But as much as that seems to be the overwhelming sentiment, and if you look at the deals that relief pitchers get, that how the market for them, when contrasted versus every other pitcher out there, has kind of been suppressed more than any other, the truth is that when you hit the trade deadline, they become in some ways the most valuable pieces available. And you look at it and you say, well, why is that? Well, I think part of it is the fact that once you get close to August, you can see a pitcher, how he's throwing all season. You can generally feel good about a guy. You know, sometimes their relievers can be a bit mercurial where one year they're good, one year they're bad. You know, when we're not talking about the absolute lockdown guys. And or but sometimes even when you are talking about the lockdown guys, if you look at the history of Craig Kimbrell, he he lost it for a period of time there. He has certainly found it over the last, uh, you know, full 162 games or so, whatever, if you want to talk about the end of last season, the end of the covid shortened season. And then all of this year, Craig Kimbrell has clearly found it. But there was a period of time for about two, three seasons where Craig Kimbrell kind of wasn't the guy who people are talking about as a possible Hall of Famer. He's gotten back to that. And so because of that inconsistency that exists with relief pitchers, a lot of front offices are hesitant to pay the big contracts for them when they hit the free agent market because they're not quite sure what they're going to get. But when you hit the trade deadline, I think there's a little more certainty to how a guy is pitching for that particular season. I think that's why when you hit the trade deadline, all those good arms who are pitching well that season – those are highly sought-after assets, and those are the pieces that are always getting moved at the trade deadline. And that's why when Craig Kimbrell was talked about as one of those players who was going to potentially be the most sought-after player at the deadline, it made sense. If you can take a Craig Kimbrell who you feel very confident has figured it out, is back to being that elite lockdown closer that he once was, if you can count on him in the playoffs, well, all of a sudden, you have basically shortened your nine-inning game, to an eight-inning game. You feel pretty comfortable every time you send Craig Kimbrell out there, he's not going to give up a run too often, right? And in addition to that, the White Sox already had one of the top three closers in baseball and Liam Hendricks. So now they have two of, I think, unquestionably the three best closers in baseball, the third being Josh Hader, who I would put on par with them these days. So you've got Hendricks and Kimbrell in the same bullpen. And which means you've already now taken essentially a nine inning game and you've shortened it to that to close to seven inning, seven innings for most teams who are going to try and figure out a way to score runs off the White Sox, knowing that Kimbrell and Hendricks are lurking. And oh, yeah, if you haven't noticed, if you've been asleep for the last five months, Michael Kopech has been used in a very similar fashion to the point where I think most White Sox fans feel very comfortable sending him out there in a potential seventh inning of a playoff game for them. So if you have Kopech and then some combination of Kimbrell and Hendricks, you now have the seventh, eighth, and ninth locked down, which means whoever you're playing in the playoffs, they're going to have six innings where they can hope and try and scratch across whatever number of runs they can 
with the big fear that if they don't do enough damage early in the game, it is not going to come for them late. Tony La Russa talked about just exactly what he has in the addition of Craig Kimbrell. I had the opportunity in Boston to be with Craig. Uh, not only is he a you know, legendary, historic kind of closer, but he's a great teammate, great person. Uh, we have a plan for how it's going to work. But until it gets communicated to him, uh, I don't want to talk about it. But for sure, the obvious thing is the depth that it provides at the back end and you know, especially when we, the hotter that we've been, the hottest that we've been at times, it always raised the question, how far could you push, Liam? It's not good because with this, this much season left and maybe hopefully October, you know, you, you want to keep those key guys with arms fresh. And the depth that this adds to our bullpen is perfect. I'll admit that I was reluctant when I was asked in previous weeks about the idea of the Sox adding Craig Kimbrell. I thought, look, this is a guy who I believe he is, he's top 10 all time in saves. I believe he's eighth on the all time list. And so I wondered aloud on these airwaves, hey, is Craig Kimbrell really going to want to embrace the idea of going to another team uh, without closing? Because having figured it out and gotten it back with 23 saves this year, he's very comfortable in the ninth inning. And I also thought, to, thought look, if Tony La Russa mentioned in that soundbite that he got to know him in Boston back when the Red Sox won a World Series and Craig Kimbrell was their de facto closer. He was not the man, though, who was closing out the final out of the World Series clincher for them that season. It was actually Chris Sale coming out of the bullpen to close it out for the Red Sox that year because Craig Kimbrell, as I mentioned, when he lost it, that was kind of back in 2018, the start of where he kind of went awry. So I was wondering if Craig Kimbrell would be open to the idea of coming to a team without closing. But as you heard Tony La Russa mentioned there, there is a plan that he had yet to have an opportunity to speak with Craig Kimbrell about, and so he didn't want to articulate it publicly but there is a plan in place, something they've thought about. More from LaRusse on having two bona fide closers. You know, if it's a day when they're both available, you know, you shorten the game. But there's a real other benefit I just discussed, you know, maintaining health and strength through the last two months of play and hopefully October. That's that's another place where, you you know, when a guy shouldn't pitch, he shouldn't pitch. And there have been days where Liam says, you know, you know we, we talked about save only, I think, the depth part is is useful, whether it's the game of both available or a day that one's not and the other is. So there you go. It makes it gives Tony La Russa plenty of opportunities to always know he's going to have a closer available. He doesn't have to worry about pushing Liam Hendricks for three or four consecutive days if the White Sox find themselves in close games in three or four straight days. He now can rely on Craig Kimbrell to close out a game if needed. And give Liam Hendricks that day of rest so that he doesn't maybe have to pitch that third straight day. Which, again, with a nine-game lead as you head into August is a huge luxury that I think they're hoping will pay off big time in October. Plenty more to discuss here on White Sox Weekly. I am Jeff Meller with you until 5.30 today, 312-332-3776. If you'd like to talk about the White Sox huge acquisitions at the trade deadline yesterday and this past week, 
Family Sundays are back at Guaranteed Rate Field. With tickets starting at $10 and parking for only $10, bring your family out to the ballpark for a day full of fun. Family Sundays are proudly presented by Coca-Cola. Visit WhiteSox.com slash Sundays to purchase your tickets today. All right, 312-332-3776. You know that we allow you the opportunity to ask Len something every game day. Hashtag Ask Len on Twitter. And on Saturdays during week White Sox Weekly, it is Len's chance to turn the tables on you. Up next, Len asks you something. We'll find out what it is in just two minutes. Welcome back to this beautiful Saturday afternoon here in the city of Chicago on ESPN 1000 and White Sox Weekly. I am Jeff Meller talking about a fabulous trade deadline for the White Sox as they add Craig Kimbrell, the key piece that a lot of people believed would be potentially making his way to places like Tampa Bay or Los Angeles. The Dodgers again being in on the Kimbrell talks, but Rick Hahn was willing to part with Nick Madrigal and Cody Hoyer, which in the end uh, nets him uh, Craig Kimbrell to add to his bullpen depth, which we have talked about a lot here on ESPN 1000, the White Sox Network. And again, 312-332-3776. Let me know what you thought of the White Sox additions. If you feel like it is now just a waiting game as we wait for the playoffs to begin, do you think... How would you like to see Tony La Russa carry out with the remainder of the season the next couple of months? Anything you'd like to see him do as they, you know, comfortably sit nine games above the Indians in the AL Central with no real competition at this point, still kind of waning through some injuries that uh, they're hoping to sort out. Uh, Good news, Luis Robert looking good down on the farm. And so the hope is that he may be back very soon for the White Sox. We saw earlier this week Eloy make um, a triumphant return only to have him uh, strain his groin and be out, uh, be put not on the injured list, but uh, off yesterday, not in the starting lineup today. Tony La Russa did mention, I know yesterday, that he was hopeful that he might be able to go ahead and return to the lineup this weekend but uh, wasn't sure exactly when that might be. I can tell you, staring at the White Sox starting lineup tonight, that it will not be tonight. The Sox go with leading off Tim Anderson at shortstop. No surprise there. Hitting second, playing uh, playing second base, will be Cesar Hernandez, the newly acquired, who had uh, two hits in his debut yesterday. Hitting third, good to see the first baseman, Jose Abreu, who in a very scary moment last night, was drilled in the helmet by James Karinchak, uh, a topic that we will certainly get to. Um, 98-mile-per-hour fastball hits him in the helmet. Fortunately, it was in the helmet. So Jose Abreu is back in the lineup. Certainly, Tony La Russa, not, I'm not going to say not upset per se, but wasn't happy with the way that unfolded. Pushed Roberto Perez. That I know that was a, a kind of a, a way that... The Indians weren't very happy the way that unfolded as well. We'll hear from uh, Perez and LaRusa on that later in the show. But uh, Jose Abreu back in the lineup today playing first base. Hitting cleanup at your uh, DH today will be Gavin Sheets. Playing third and hitting fifth, Yoan Mancata. 
Uh, he had himself an interesting home run yesterday. We'll hear from that. You know what, Sean? Let's. Uh, if you missed it, if uh, perhaps you were kind of taking the night off from taking in your White Sox because it was Friday and you went out, maybe you were uh, at Lollapalooza last night, so you didn't have a chance to see how this unfolded. Before we get through the rest of the lineup, let me let you hear the call of Yohan Mankata's home run last night. The pitch, Mankata, high, towering drive. It's well hit, right center, and it's going to be gone, a home run. We had a collision out there. Zimmer and Johnson came together, and the ball got over the wall. Yeah, that one was knocked over the fence once the two outfielders collided with each other. One or the other knocked it up in the air to the top of the fence, and then it rolled out of the ballpark. And Yohan Moncada is very thankful that those two could not come together and make a play. An absolute disaster for the Indians last night as Bradley Zimmer and Brian Johnson end up uh, failing to have good communication skills. Johnson did not, uh, well, I'm going to say Zimmer did not call Johnson off. It was clearly Zimmer's ball, the center fielder, but Johnson then runs into him. And as you could hear, as it was unfolding, it was a very awkward play to call for Len because it was kind of odd to see what happened. And sure enough, uh, as it uh, was hitting Zimmer's glove, Johnson runs into him and it pops it right over the wall for a home run for Yohan Mankata, who is indeed hitting fifth tonight. Hitting sixth in left field will be Andrew Vaughn. In right field, hitting seventh will be Brian Goodwin. Your eighth hitter will be your center fielder, Adam Engel. And catching the man who uh, has brought an interesting flavor to the White Sox as their backup catcher these days, Sebi Savala will be hitting ninth and doing the catching for the White Sox with Dallas Keuchel on the mound. Hopefully Dallas Keuchel can start to get things right as well. But that leads us perfectly, I think, to our Len Asks of the day. Again, we always give you the opportunity to ask the booth during our White Sox games, but turnabout is fair play. And we do on Saturdays let Len ask you, the listeners, a question. I'm going to make you White Sox manager this week for Len Asks. When everybody's healthy, that means Robert's back, Jimenez is in the lineup every day, Yasmani Grandal is back. Write out the Sox batting order, one through nine. There you go. Len Casper wants you to go ahead and give me the White Sox lineup that you would put out there if all of their key players were back healthy. And so obviously, as he mentioned, Luis Robert, Eloy Jimenez, when they get back into the lineup, where would you go ahead and put them? Now, I had a little bit of a head start because I had an opportunity to go ahead and listen to Len's question before we played it there. And so I went ahead and did my lineup. You can feel free to disagree if you'd like. I think the best way to handle this, I think the only real question for me is what are you going to do with that right field, left field DH situation. Certainly, Eloy is going to be in the lineup, but where is he going to play? Is he going to be your designated hitter? Is Eloy going to play left field for you? And if Eloy is going to play left field, does that mean that Andrew Vaughn is going to be able to handle right field? So I I thought about this, and I think there's no doubt about it. Tim Anderson is obviously going to lead off for the White Sox. He brings the energy. He does a great job of providing some pop and speed at the top of the lineup. Tim Anderson is the leadoff hitter. No questions about it to me. Now, hitting second, 
if everybody is healthy, I like Yoan Mankata in the two-hole. Sees a lot of pitches, has the ability to get on base. He's a switch hitter, which allows you the opportunity to go ahead and go righty-lefty if need see, if you if uh, you see the need for that. So Tim Anderson as a righty leading off, Yoan Mankata as a switch hitter at third base for you as your second hitter. Of course, Jose Abreu will be my third hitter, the RBI man, the uh, reigning MVP, playing first base, also a righty. He will be my three hitter if everybody is healthy for the White Sox. As and then I look at this and okay. Now the question becomes, what are you going to do with Eloy? I can make the argument that personally I'd probably like to DH him. But in this scenario, trying to optimize my lineup, I'm going to, say, I'm going to go ahead and put Eloy Jimenez in left field with the understanding that with this, I am expecting Andrew Vaughn to prove that he can handle right field for more than a couple of games that we've seen him out there. So I need to see, I need Andrew Vaughn to prove that he can handle right field. If he can, I'll put Eloy Jimenez back out and left and hitting cleanup. At that point, it becomes a question of, are you going to go ahead and use Yasmani Grandal or maybe Gavin Sheets for me? I think if Gavin Sheets continues to hit anywhere close to the way he has been, he's going to be my DH in this lineup and my fifth hitter. And he will be the lefty behind Eloy Jimenez and Jose Abreu, providing that balance. You always like to go righty-lefty whenever possible. It makes it difficult for the the opposing manager to call on his bullpen with the old uh, lefty specialist if you give, if you provide that balance, that offsetting lefty-righty or with the switch hitter as uh, Grandel is. So I'm going Eloy cleanup. I'm going to go Gavin Sheets as my DH and hitting fifth. I would then go ahead and use Luis Robert. Uh, center field, uh, hitting sixth. Then I'm going to go ahead and put Yaz, Yasmani Grandal, Yaz, uh, your switch hitter behind the plate. And then we're going to go ahead and use Andrew Vaughn in right field as your eighth hitter, which what a luxury that is. Andrew Vaughn, um, one of the doubles leaders across baseball as your eighth hitter and playing right field. And then finally, hitting ninth, I will use the switch hitting Cesar Hernandez, the newly acquired Cesar Hernandez, as your ninth hitter. So that in a perfect world, you have everybody healthy and ready to go for the playoffs. That would be the starting lineup that I think I would trot out there. And so the only real and then with the knowing that the flexibility is there, if for some reason over the next couple months, we don't see what we want to see from Andrew Vaughn in right field, if we think he's costing us too much defensively. I've always got the great luxury of having Adam Engel at my disposal. He'd probably hit lower in the lineup, might be my ninth hitter in that case. But to have Adam Engel in right field, patrolling right field for me, I could take Gavin Sheets out of the lineup there. I could plug in Eloy Jimenez at DH and then use Andrew Vaughn back in left field, where I think he's proven this season he's very comfortable. And I feel comfortable as a White Sox fan having Andrew Vaughn out there in left. So it's a great luxury for Tony LaRusse to have all of these possibilities, assuming health. Now, you know what happens when you assume. Uh, there's a saying, uh, when you assume, you make a, an ass out of you and me, and hopefully that won't be the case. But injuries are a part of baseball, and in the perfect world, the White Sox will be in very good condition for the playoffs, but we have to wait and see. And again, with Eloy's groin injury, you know, it just goes to show that even when a guy comes back from injury and you're ready to, ready and raring to go, you know, everything, 
your plans may not play out exactly the way you'd like. So 312-332-3776. Let me know if you uh, have any issues with the lineup that uh, I trotted out there as we played you uh, Len Asks, as we do every week during White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. Let me know who you would use in the White Sox lineup. Has Gavin Sheets done enough to convince you that he needs to be in the lineup almost every day? He does bring that left-handed power, which um, really does balance out the lineup nicely. But again, that then you, you do lose a little defensively when Adam Engel is not out there in the outfield. Hey, Sox fans, join us. The White Sox, join us as the White Sox take on the New York Yankees on Saturday, August 14th at 6.10 p.m. The first 20,000 fans will receive throwback 1919 White Sox jerseys presented by Xfinity, the fastest internet in Chicago. To purchase tickets, visit whitesox.com slash promos. And you know who will be in the lineup for the White Sox? I'm sorry, for the Yankees, who will likely be in the lineup for the Yankees that evening? It will be a man who this town is very familiar with. One Anthony Rizzo. And you know what? There was a Cubs fan who was very disheartened. He called Carmen DeFalco and me yesterday. He wanted some advice. And so, you know what? Carmen DeFalco and I, two White Sox fans, gave him and his 10-year-old son some advice. Let you hear what it was next, right here on ESPN 1000, White Sox Network. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000, White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Meller, hanging out with you until 5.30 when Jonathan Hood takes over with the White Sox pregame ahead of White Sox and Indians this evening. White Sox won last night 6-4, to four, extending their division lead over the Tribe to nine games and now sit at 61-43. and 43. Kind of bunched up with uh, the entire American League, the Houston Astros right now, with the best record in the league at 64-40, and 40, so three games better than the Sox. The Red Sox are 63-42, and 42, so a game and a half on top of the White Sox. And the Rays are 62-42, and 42, so one game better than the White Sox, but obviously that could change very easily. And the fact that the White Sox have the AL Central, a lot of uh, games left on their schedule with their American League Central Division foes, a very good thing for them to potentially go ahead and run down that best record in the American League, which would be a very nice bonus considering that they would then have the uh, wild card winner and uh, home field throughout the American League playoffs. I mentioned that yesterday while I was sitting in for Yurko with Carmen DeFalco, we were fielding a lot of calls from Cubs fans who were dismayed about the loss of Anthony Rizzo, who meant so much to that franchise after he was traded to the Yankees because we were talking about how the Yankees will be here in about uh, next week, uh, next weekend when uh, you have the uh, Field of Dreams game and the, I'm sorry, two weeks from now, when you have the Field of Dreams game and then, of course, they will be back at the rate. We talked about how Anthony Rizzo, would likely be in the lineup for the Yankees. Well, yesterday, Carmen DeFelco and I had a caller who needed some advice. Let's go to Jason and Dyer. Hey, Jason. Hey, Carm. I'm here with my 10-year-old Elijah, and we've been talking the last uh, week on what's going to happen with the Cubs, trying to prepare him emotionally for it, and uh, today's the day where it's all kind of hitting. Hmm. Uh, you guys alluded to it earlier, but maybe you could break it down for a 10-year-old. Say a lot. Say a lot. Yes. Elijah, are you there? Uh, you're, you're 10? Yeah. 
All right, I'm going to make this real easy for you to understand, okay, buddy? You cheer for the wrong team. Start cheering for the White Sox, yes. okay? Oh, yes. no, 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 not why we called. Where's Yerk? Jason, don't worry. I'm in for Yerk today. I will be the voice of reason. Elijah, I have great news for you. You share the name of a young Elijah, Elijah Tatis. That's right. Who is yes. in the White Sox farm system. That's He's right. going to be yes. the next great oh. shortstop. Okay, Go boys, ahead and I'm buy your son a Tatis jersey. Jason. My kid. Jason, we love you. Tell him, tell him listen, tell him that it's a business. Say, when you get older, you'll understand it's business, but maybe, just maybe, <laughs> Kevin Alcantara is going to be a superstar for the Cubs someday. Yeah, well, we're not worried about Kevin Alcantara, Carm, but uh, for all the Cubs fans out there who are maybe looking for some place to land, here's a soft landing spot for you on the south side, and especially if your name is Elijah. Elijah Tatis, who knows how, you know, the young uh, 19-year-old in the White Sox system, younger brother of uh, a man you may have heard of, Fernando Tatis Jr. So, uh, yeah, perfect opportunity to go ahead and... Uh, Jump on the bandwagon. There's plenty of room. Southsiders, we're more than welcome to have you aboard. All right, 312-332-3776. I answered Len Casper's question to you in this week's edition of Len Asks, and he asked you to write out the White Sox lineup. I gave you what I think mine would be, assuming, of course, health for all the White Sox players. And Joe in Orland Park checks in. He, uh, he would change mine around a little bit. Hey, Joe, what's going on, man? Yeah, no, I thought the lineup was great. Um, the only thing I thought of is putting Robert maybe in the nine hole. Mm-hmm. I think when he comes back, one, he has seemed to strike out a lot. I think he'll figure that out over his course of his career. But put him in the nine slot, you don't expect much production from the nine slot. They can't walk him because you're not going to walk him because I think it's still second. A single from Anderson scores him. So I think you'll see a lot more fastballs. Yeah. Uh, so that was just one thing I thought, thought with the lineup. But another thing, too, is coming up with playoff time, do you think they should start extending Michael Kopech a little bit um, and maybe put him in that playoff rotation? I mean, right now I would have more confidence in him, you know, pitching yeah. that third game than probably anyone else. Oh, so, so, whoa, so, so you're saying the third game, huh, Joe? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, right now, do you, would you say you really have much faith in Dallas Keuchel or Dylan Seed? No, but they, they for me, are, um, the way I look at it, they're your four, fourth and fifth starters, right? I think, you know, in all likelihood that Lance Lynn is going to be your opening starter in any series you, 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 know, you go towards. Yeah. Now, the question is going to be, obviously, how's Rodon pitching? Because, you know, after the injuries that he's, he's battled back from over the last couple of years, we've seen the last couple of starts, his velocity's been down. And so how is he going to handle the workload? And how are the White Sox going to look for opportunities to give him some rest? The Dodgers, who I think, you know, yeah. when, you, when you look at what the Dodgers do with their pitchers, they essentially do their damnedest to run out a six or, or even a seven-man rotation whenever the opportunity presents, them, presents itself. They will frequently yeah. send one of their starters to the injured list. He'll sit out 10 days, miss a start or two. And whether or not, you know, how hurt they actually are, only they can tell us, you know. But that just they do that in order to go ahead and limit their innings, knowing that the true goal and prize comes in October, right? So the, the, that's the great luxury right now of having a nine-game lead in this division. And so assuming Carlos Rodon is pitching well in September, and I do expect the White Sox to manage his workload, assuming Rodon yeah. is pitching well, he is probably going to start game two or three 
for the sacks with Giolito being the other guy who goes two or three. So for me, those are your one, two, threes. Would you agree with that assessment? No, yeah, I guess you say that. You know, like you said, especially with 2020 being a shortened season, you want to make sure these guys get reps. And I think it's honestly a perfect opportunity to start getting Kopech some more innings. So like you said, you know, hopefully Rodon gets that, you know, that rep, maybe a time off a, a, a quote-unquote, you know, inflammation in the bicep. Uh, sure, yeah. IL list, you know, which would be nice. And then, you know, he comes back strong like he did at the beginning of the year. And then, like you said, then he's definitely your three-starter. And um, But, yeah, I, I would definitely have Kopech, you know, start stretching him out now because, I think if you go right now from one inning at a time to just throwing them in the playoff rotation, if that's their plan, I don't know if that's yeah, see, so great. The way I think of it, Joe, is right now the way it's set up, as long as Rodon is pitching well, you've got the one, two, three. You don't oftentimes what you'll see in the playoffs is you don't have to lean on that fourth starter as much as you might need. And it, actually, I wouldn't be surprised to see something like Dallas Keuchel get a start in a game four, and then they'll be ready to use D- Dylan Cease after. Dallas Keuchel shows any signs of, you know, trouble, all of a sudden Dylan Cease comes out in a piggyback situation because you really don't need five starters in the playoffs. And then I I think what the addition of Kimbrell does is it gives them this perfect opportunity to go ahead and use the blueprint that the the Royals used to win the World Series in 2015 and also get to it in 2014. Kopech is going to be, in my opinion, the seventh inning lockdown reliever for the White Sox. Like, you go Kopech, Kimbrel, Hendricks, or Hendricks, Kimbrel, and whatever, whatever yeah. order we see. Like, it's, it's, like, a, it's a six-inning six game. game. Yeah. And, no, and so, as a White Sox fan, that's why you have to be absolutely enthusiastic. And you know what? You bring up a good point, Joe. And thanks for the call is why I do appreciate it. But you bring up a great point about Luis Robert as a potential uh, hitter in the ninth. And what a luxury that is, huh? You have, If you can use a gold glove caliber defender who brings a lot of pop and somebody who you're very excited about in the future, but maybe doesn't necessarily have the plate discipline quite yet that you're hoping for. I could see using him uh, in the uh, in the ninth spot in the order and, and then not putting that undue pressure on him, maybe bumping everybody up. I had, I had Andrew Vaughn in that uh, seventh spot. All of a sudden he could bump up to six and then you can move whether it's Cesar Hernandez to the, uh, to the eighth spot and then, put Luis Robert behind them. That's certainly possible. A lot depends, I think, on how Luis Robert is playing when he returns and if he's showing any um, progress in the plate discipline avenue. And if he does, then there are moments when he's going good where maybe I do want him up higher in the order with the opportunity to drive in some big runs. Joe is in Dundee. He is uh, our second Joe of the show. Hey, two Joes. Wow. Joe, what's going on, my man? You're on ESPN 1000 and White Sox Weekly. Hey, Jeff. Yeah. I've been to more than uh, one Sox versus Yankees game. <laughs> sure. And, uh, yeah, uh, uh, it's going to be very interesting uh, if Rizzo shows up there. <laughs> He's, it's bringing a whole new uh, bag to the, uh, to the rival well, situation, right? You know, I have Cubs fans uh, in my family, too. Mm-hmm. So. Sure. Uh, we all do. We all do. Uh, yeah. It's going to be very interesting uh, to see uh, the mannerism. <laughs> uh, oh boy, I was out uh, uh, to the uh, Sox Cubs uh, um, crosstown classic after the Sox won, and it was ugly. <laughs> so. Well, yeah, it certainly brings out the the uh, the hatred and the vitriol. Certainly comes up even well, more when one team is. Uh, 
is playing well and the other is maybe not where they want to be. Yeah, so, they're not too happy right now, Joe. No, and, and listen, that's Joe, it's certainly a, a tough time to be a fan when your team basically dismantles your entire roster on the so, trade deadline. And, you know, superstars. You're, yeah, yeah. You're, and you're, you're told, hey, yeah. you're told, hey, you and know what? we got one of them. Yeah, yeah. hey, l- listen, everybody on the south side, you know what? Nobody's uh, too disappointed that the, the uh, Cubs decided to go ahead and finally go ahead and tear it down because, yes, as you just said, the White Sox are huge beneficiaries of the addition of Craig Kimbrell. Kimbrell's going to add a huge... Uh benefit to the Sox. Listen, so. I love it. I mean, they, so they could go all the way. Listen, I think that's exactly Rakan's thinking. Joe, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Again, 312-332-3776. If you want to talk about the White Sox and the huge additions at the trade deadline, obviously Craig Kimbrell, the headliner, but let's not discount Ryan Tapera and Cesar Hernandez. Also nice additions. Uh, Hernandez, I, I really like the fact that the White Sox added Cesar Hernandez. Actually, Tim Kirchin joined uh, San Carmen and Yurko on Thursday. Now, this was prior to the Kimbrel deal, but Kirkchen talked about what exactly the White Sox were adding with Cesar Hernandez. Well, he's a good player, and he's going to help them because they needed somebody to play second base with Nick Madrigal gone for the year. They checked on some other people. I think Trevor Story is a shortstop, even though I'm sure he could play second base. I think it was a little bit prohibitive, the cost, because the Rockies are in deep trouble and they don't want to trade him, but they have to, and they're going to ask for the world in return. So this was an easier way to go, and the White Sox should be good enough to win the pennant with Cesar Hernandez at second base. They don't have to go all the way for Trevor Story or Eduardo Escobar, who's a really good player too, but this is an upgrade. They're a better team now that they got this guy. There's no doubt about it, and you have to wonder exactly what the heck is going on in Colorado. They stand pat with Trevor Story, who will be a free agent at the end of the season. They've already moved out Nolan Arenado, and they were universally panned for that decision. What they got back in return for an Arenado, actually, when they actually picked up some of the contract that they did give him. So the Rockies are an absolute mess. Clearly, it was going to be difficult to do business with them as seen by the fact that they did not move Trevor Story at the deadline yesterday. So the White Sox go ahead and do their due diligence and add Cesar Hernandez on Thursday, which opens up and allows them the opportunity, as we've noted numerous times now, to go ahead and include Nick Madrigal as the piece to the main piece to go ahead and add Craig Kimbrell at the deadline. Plenty more to talk about here on White Sox Weekly. I'm here with you for another hour up till 5.30. I'm Jeff Meller, 312-332-3776 if you'd like to participate. Hey, spend your summer at the ballpark with bleachers and brews. Get one ticket and two bears starting at $25. Must be 21 and over with a valid ID. Bleachers and Brews is presented by Budweiser. To purchase tickets, visit whitesox.com slash brew. All right, a lot of people... Truly believe the White Sox were one of the big winners at the trade deadline. You know what? I will let you hear from one of the baseball bigfoots who bigfoots who believe that. Up next here on ESP One Thousand, the White Sox Network. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on ESP One Thousand, White Sox Network. I am Jeff Meller with you. Until 5.30 today as Jonathan Hood will take over with your White Sox pregame ahead of the White Sox and Indians today after a 6-4 win for the Sox last night. Uh, I mentioned as we went to break that 
Plenty of people around baseball clearly identify the White Sox as one of the big winners in baseball after the deals that they were able to pull off. Uh, I'm looking at right now on MLB.com. The White Sox are uh, fourth amongst the big winners. Uh, It says the White Sox have the most comfortable division lead in baseball, something that we've noted numerous times here today with four sellers chasing them. They also have gotten back Eloy and are about to get back Luis Robert. Things are looking great, but... You don't bring in Tony La Russa, for better or worse, if you only want to make the playoffs. The Sox have the look of a team that thinks it's the American League favorite, uh, and I'm not particularly prone to disagree with them. Craig Kimbrell at the cost of McMadrigal, who saw that coming? I think uh, this writer here on MLB.com didn't uh, – I actually believe it's um, – I want to give you – Will Leach. Um, he uh, is obviously not that big of a Nick Madrigal fan. Uh, Craig Kimbrell gives them a downright terrifying triumvirate of Kimbrell, Liam Hendricks, and Michael Kopech that has a 2015 Royals, you better not be behind in the seventh inning or your toast vibe to it. Um, I mentioned that earlier about the uh, Royals as the, um, you know, kind of the blueprint there that they're chasing. And it's not just the uh, Royals, though. If you go way back, I know... Um, uh, our very uh, proud Cincinnati Reds diehard fan Tom Waddle mentioned yesterday that uh, you know the Nasty Boys, the 1990 Cincinnati Reds that went wire to wire um, and won the World Series, relied heavily with uh, their shutdown closers of Norm Charlton in the seventh, Rob Dibble in the eighth, and Randy Myers in the ninth. So if you can pull it off, this is certainly a good recipe for success. In the postseason, and the White Sox right now are set up to do just precisely that. Jeff Passan, who is ESPN's MLB insider and was very busy yesterday, broke it all down on SportsCenter shortly after the trade deadline. This, to me, was the biggest shocker of the day. Why? Greg Kimbrell going to the White Sox, who already have Liam Hendricks, mm-hmm. already have one of the best closers in baseball. The White Sox prioritize their bullpen. They want to shorten games, and they said, you know what? If there's a problem with Craig Kimbrell or Liam Hendricks wanting to close, they're going to put it to the side in pursuit of a championship. And that's what the White Sox did today. They said, we will trade Nick Madrigal, who has five more years of team control, cross town. We're going to see him every single day, knowing that we did so trying to win a title this season. You think that that move makes them the best in the American League right now? Uh, boy, I, I mean, the Boston Red Sox didn't have any big additions. The Tampa Bay Rays got Nelson Cruz. The Houston Astros really bolstered their bullpen. I think between their lineup, when Luis Robert comes back, especially their starting pitching and now their bullpen, the White Sox are the favorite in the AL. That is uh, music to my ears as a White Sox fan to hear people looking at the White Sox as the prohibitive AL favorites. And I think Jeff mentioned it, like all the other Real key contenders. The Rays did add Nelson Cruz, so that's obviously a big addition to their lineup and some nice pop that they were probably sorely lacking. However, you look around at the rest, and and yeah, the Red Sox, they're counting on Chris Sale coming back and being good. And while Chris Sale has pitched very well um, in his return in the minors and in his, you know, uh, warm-up stints to try and get back to the major league level, he's still returning from Tommy John surgery. So I think counting on Chris Sale just to walk into the rotation and be the Cy Young caliber pitcher that he was years ago might be, you know, expecting a bit much. Now, I'm not going to rule it out, certainly, but I don't think you can necessarily count on that. And so the fact that the Red Sox didn't make any huge moves, they did add Kyle Schwarber, and he's going to be an interesting piece because he was 
going crazy for a while there before he had a, a hamstring injury, but he will be expected back at some point in August for the Red Sox. Whether or not they will uh, dispose him at first base, I think, is the real question, or because that's really where the Red Sox have a huge hole. Astros make a couple of nice additions to their bullpen, but um, you know they're a team that on paper, even though the record's very good, maybe not as intimidating as they have been in the past when they had Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole heading their rotation, so they don't look nearly as scary as they have in the past in a short series. And, you know, then the rest of the American League East, if anything, the Yankees doing what they did is maybe something that is a cause for concern because not just Anthony Rizzo, but the bigger addition was Joey Gallo, who is an absolute monster, a left-handed thumper, who should have an opportunity to really take advantage of that short right field porch in Yankee Stadium. And the two additions of the left-handed power hitters, does a nice, nice. Uh, it fills a huge hole in the Yankees uh, lineup that was glaring for a long time. But for the Yankees, their huge issue is the fact that they're seven games back of the Rays for second place in the AL East, and they are also, as I look at it, they are five games back of the A's for the second wild card spot. So the Yankees have plenty of work to do if they're actually going to go ahead and get into the playoffs. And oh, by the way, the Toronto Blue Jays are a game back of the Yankees. So the Yankees are going to have to do a lot of work just to get there. So even though they made some nice additions at the deadline, they are not necessarily locks to be participants in the playoffs. So that is all the more reason why White Sox fans can get very um, confident about the White Sox chances. Jeff Passan, after, uh, after a busy day of breaking everything down on the ESPN Major League Baseball trade deadline show, did jump on with Waddle and Sylvie, and he talked about how exactly the Sox intend to use both Craig Kimbrell and Liam Hendricks. I think they're probably going to go back and forth depending on what the strengths are of the, the hitter versus what the stuff is. You know, um, Liam Hendricks and, and Craig Kimbrell are similar in that their best pitches are their fastballs, but uh, I, I think they're both team enough guys where they understand that if if they make a fuss about how they're used, they're just getting in the way of a potential championship. And, uh, you know, they, if you're I and you understand that the easiest path to money is through saves, that our, the arbitration system in baseball pays saves disproportionately compared to everything else, then you might be a little bit aggrieved. These are two guys who have gotten their money. And I think these are two guys who want to win a damn ring. And the pursuit of that is going to take precedent over whatever personal feelings they may have. Listen, they are competitors, but I think that was an excellent point by Passon talking about both Craig Kimbrell and Liam Hendricks. We know Hendricks is going to be here for the long haul. And Craig Kimbrell, actually, there's a team option for the White Sox for next season if they'd like to pick it up. So he's going to get paid. He's already been paid and um, numerous times, actually. And so it's not all about piling up the save total in hopes of, you know, having that big uh, that big annual salary because Craig Kimbrell is getting 16, 16 and a half million per year. He's set. And again, as good as he's been, there's a very strong possibility that the White Sox will be picking up that team option next season, which means that both him and Liam Hendricks will be here for the next, not just the rest of this year, but also next year too. And the White Sox then are in great position if it's, you know, I, I had thought that maybe Kimbrell would be a little concerned about piling up some saves for his Hall of Fame candidacy, 
But when all is said and done, he does want to have an opportunity to win a World Series. And truth be told, he really didn't have a say. He didn't have a no-trade clause. He couldn't dictate terms. Now, he could if he wanted to, you know, send uh, word through back channels that not closing was going to be an issue. But Craig Kimbrell has never really shown to be a, a guy who is a malcontent. And I think the point is well well made by passing in that it, it's big to pile up those saves early in your career when you're under team control and you go to arbitration and all your stats are looked at and they help determine whether or not what your, what your salary is going to be the next season. But when you hit the point where you've already signed that long-term contract and your annual salary is set, you don't necessarily need to worry about piling up saves, which, you know, one of the most overrated stats in baseball these days, right right next to batting average, is probably saves. Because the reality is you want the ability to go ahead and use your best reliever in the highest leverage positions. And I think... Once you, you know, most guys now, I think, are coming around to that thought process. Liam Hendricks, if you ever listen to him talk, he will tell you he wants to be used when it's most meaningful to the team. And even though it's easy to go ahead and use him in the ninth and occasionally bring him in an out or two, you know, to get that four or five out save in the eighth. Now, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Tony La Russa doesn't hesitate to go to Liam Hendricks, you know, in the occasional seventh or eighth inning because he knows that Liam Hendricks is open to just getting outs to help the team win. And I think Craig Kimbrell, once he gets into the clubhouse and sees the vibe with this team, and they're all about winning, I think he'll easily fall in line, and it won't be all about the saves. And so it will just be about matchups at that point, who LaRusso likes and in what situation. And I could very easily, as Jeff Passan laid out, see them both being used in save situations and as, as you go farther into the season. Also, not just the fact that you have Kimbrell potentially for you next season, also Cesar Hernandez, but what does this trade potentially mean for Michael Kopech and Carlos Rodan? I'll tell you what I think when we return. Join us on Tuesday, August 17th for 90s Night presented by Kordak as the Chicago White Sox host the Oakland Athletics at 710 p.m. Kordak, your next day service metal deck supply company. To purchase tickets, visit whitesox.com slash promos. What does the addition of Craig Kimbrell mean for Michael Kopech's long-term future? We'll talk about that next here on the ESP 1000 White Sox Network. little Dre for you here on a Saturday afternoon as the White Sox get set to take on the Cleveland Indians. Pre-game starts at 5.30. This is White Sox Weekly. I'm Jeff Meller with you. Jonathan Hood will take over at 5.30, and uh, Len Casper and Darren Jackson will be on the call for White Sox Indians later today. I mentioned that the addition of Craig Kimbrell and that team option that the White Sox are going to have, the opportunity to pick up if all goes well, well this season, and the impact it may have going forward, you've got Hendricks and, again, potentially Kimbrough for next season, which means your bullpen is set in the late innings. And that means long-term, getting ahead of ourselves, I think it's a perfect opportunity because the truth is, while Kopech is a weapon out of the pen this year, the long-term future of Michael Kopech is as a starter. And... I don't think anybody in the White Sox organization would deny that. It's nice to see that you've got the fallback plan of using him as a high-leverage reliever if needed, if for whatever reason 
things don't work out in the starting rotation. But let's be honest. The bigger hope is that Michael Kopech could potentially be the ace-like arm that can go ahead and be paired with Lance Lynn and Lucas Giolito. And I mentioned those two and omits Carlos Rodan because Carlos Rodan is indeed a free agent this offseason. And as good as he's been a potential Cy Young finalist this year, as good as Carlos Rodan has been, the problem is he may be pricing himself out of the White Sox market. And, you know, I don't know what exactly his offers will be, but if he continues to finish this season up in good fashion and is somebody who the White Sox count on to start game two or three in the playoffs, he is going to be highly sought after. And he may be the most sought after pitcher because of his age and as a a lefty who brings the heat that he does, if he can prove that he can go this full season and shows all the teams out there that are in the market for a frontline starter, he may prove that he is just too expensive for the White Sox to go ahead and count on when you consider what they have already in the rotation. Lance Lynn signed the extension. We all know about that. The hope is that Lucas Giolito is here for a long time. Obviously, he's not. He does. He has not signed a long-term extension. But I know they like what they have in Lucas. Um, not just what he brings to to the you know to the bump every fifth day, but also in the clubhouse, the working relationship he has with the other members of his rotation. And we know the upside that Dylan Cease potentially provides in the years of control that he has. Dallas Keuchel's here for another year or two. And you look at Michael Kopech, and he is slotted to be in this rotation. And so right there, I've given you five names without Carlos Rodan, and I do believe that this clears the path potentially to let the White Sox have say goodbye to Carlos Rodan if need be in the offseason, knowing that Michael Kopech is going to need one of, the, one of those rotation spots. And you always want more pitching. But the truth is, it's hard to go into a season unless you're the Dodgers with six or seven bona fide starters. And with Kopech waiting in the wings, there's going to be a need for him to have a rotation spot. So barring injury... You're going to have to find a room for him. And I think long-term, this the Kimbrel deal just makes it that much easier next season to transition him to the rotation. One of our callers earlier brought up the idea that, you know, they might look be looking to stretch him out this year to potentially use him as a starter in the playoffs this season. I don't think that is all in the cards. I think Michael Kopech is all about being, the White Sox are all about using him in the seventh, potentially eighth inning as one of their shutdown closers this year and the next year, they will look to use him in the rotation. Let's go on out to Lockport and say good afternoon to John. Hey, John, you're on ESPN 1000. Jeff Miller on White Sox Weekly. Hey, Jeff, how are you? I'm good, man. How you doing? I'm good. I just have a quick question. I know the moves we made were to compete for a championship this year, which I love and I'm all about it. Uh, but I was just wondering if you have any insight. I mean, I know we have Cesar Hernandez for the next this year and possibly next year too. But what do we have in our system to replace at second base after that? So at second base, particularly the White Sox don't have anybody who is necessarily going to be knocking on the door right now, which I think is why the addition of Cesar Hernandez, who does have the team option for next year, likely to be picked up is a good move for the White Sox. Look, the thing though, with the, some folks, John, who are a little upset with Nick Magical. Look, he was a fun player. I do think, though, that 
I think if Rick Hahn was being completely honest and not necessarily playing the PR game, which I think so many GMs feel like you kind of have to. You don't want to go ahead and say any of, you know, the negative things you might believe about a player. But I think if if we could really be at least my assessment of the situation is that Nick Madrigal, as 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 fun as he was, he's just he, he's a smaller player who doesn't bring any power to, to that position. Right. And personally, uh, defensively, I thought he was lacking a bit. I think the hope was that since he was moving from shortstop in college, that he could potentially be a gold glove caliber second baseman. And at the major league level through 83 games, he had not proven to me that he was anywhere close to that. He also wasn't providing the speed that I think they were maybe hoping he could give you as well. So while he was giving you contact and has a 317 career batting average, it was a kind of an empty, uh, you know, 358 on base, John, because there was no power there. The, goal, the the second base defense was was average, I think, at best. At that, that's what he had proven. And so I think Rick Hahn understood that this was the perfect opportunity to potentially sell at his highest point, right? If Nick Madrigal is somebody who in the future, it's going to be hard to trade Nick Madrigal, you know, two, three years from now, if he's a fan favorite, but maybe he's not necessarily a a player who provides much pop to that lineup and is, is always going to be slotted in as your ninth hitter. While he might be a winning ball player, I think you need to surround him with a lot of other things to make sure that it's good. So, while they may not have a, a, a replacement ready to go in the minors at the higher levels, John, I do think someone like Elijah Tatis, who they have you know high hopes for, could be here you know, no, three, four years from now. He may be your second baseman. Maybe Tim Anderson moves to second base depending on you know how he ages. But we know Timmy's going to be locked in at shortstop for a long time, and so you really only have one middle infield position to fill. And I just think that it was the perfect opportunity to go ahead and move on from Nick Madrigal before fans really fall in love with him because of, you know, because of his stature and he's a fun player. His two-strike approach is great. But I think in terms of like when you're building a baseball team, he wouldn't necessarily be your first choice. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I think that was the thought process, John. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it here on White Sox Weekly. 312-332-3776 if you'd like to participate. Got uh, about a half an hour to go before Jonathan Hood takes over with your White Sox pregame ahead of uh, White Sox and Indians. We will get back to talking about the huge addition that the White Sox made. Craig Kimbrell, absolutely awesome move. They are declared the winners of the deadline by plenty of White Sox people. Or I'm sorry, by plenty of baseball uh Baseball pundits out there, a lot of them declared the White Sox the biggest winner at the trade deadline this side of the Dodgers. So feel free to let me know what you thought about the move, the addition of Craig Kimbrell from across town. And uh, I will also let you hear Rick Hahn talk about what the White Sox thinking was. Experience a game this season from the Goose Island located in right field. It features a variety of seating options, easy access to the craft cave and more available for group outings as well. For more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit whitesacks.com slash island. All right. All right. The man who made the move, Rick Hahn, tells you what he was thinking in just two minutes right here on ESP 1000 White Sox Network. This is White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Meller taking you up to pregame 
when Jonathan Hood will take over at 5.30 as the White Sox take on the Indians in the second of a three-game set. They won last night 6-4, to four, of course, and uh, we had a little bit of a dust-up. I'll try and uh, give you a little bit of sound from that as well so that we don't necessarily are not caught off guard, at least by the fact that uh, if we see some um, some uh, chicanery, if you will, between the uh, uh, pitchers, because uh, Tony La Russa was none too pleased about the way that that went down last night when uh, Jose Abreu took a fastball to the helmet. A scary moment, uh, about 98-mile-per-hour fastball from James Karinchek to the helmet. Never good to see that, but the good news was that Jose Abreu was okay um, even though Tony La Russa did not like Roberto Perez checking on him, he said, get away from my player. Didn't like that at all. Um, it actually, uh, induced Tony to, uh, bring out the, uh, the, uh, sprint from the dugout. We saw Tony La Russa move faster than I think we've seen in a long, long time. So that was an interesting scene last night. Um, I'll let you hear from, uh, Roberto Perez and Fran Mel Reyes about their thoughts about that later. But first I want you to hear from the White Sox, uh, architect of the team, Rick Hahn, who talks about what exactly they did at the trade deadline, uh, obtaining three specific pieces. Rory Garcia and Danny Mendick both did a very solid job filling in uh, in the absence of Nick Madrigal. Uh, but we felt moving Lurie into the super utility role in which he had thrived for the last several years was of the utmost importance. And we wanted to find uh, some stability day in and day out for the lineup in that second base position. Uh, Cesar provides us with someone who not only obviously comes with a gold glove resume and has found a nice power stroke over the course of this season, but as a switch hitter, provides a professional at bat to go with the solid defense and, and is a nice balancing factor for this lineup. Uh, Tapera, uh, you know, he's had those in Chicago on this call who have covered both clubs knows how strong of a season he's had. He's been effective against both lefties and righties. They've used him in a variety of roles and he's a, a very fine get for, for any team uh, down the stretch run here. Uh, lastly, Craig Kimbrell, obviously the, the resume speaks for itself. You know, as I, as I discussed with Craig a few weeks ago, uh, Kenny and I asked each other of all the players expected to be moved let's assume we can only acquire one, who would it be? And he and I had the same answer, and, and that was the player we acquired today. Uh, we view him as uh, playing a key role here, obviously, over the next few months, getting us in position for the postseason. Uh, but come October, providing Tony and Ethan and, and Haas with a variety of weapons at the back end to help shorten games. I've talked a lot today about what exactly Craig Kimbrell adds to the White Sox bullpen. Tony La Russa now has all these weapons at his disposal. Come playoff time, they will be the team that nobody really wants to play in the American League because of the way they're set up. So it is a great move. Rick Hahn talked about how they're in win-now mode. They're going for it, prioritizing now over the future. Partying with Nick Madrigal is not easy. Partying with Cody Hoyer is not easy. Jed will tell you if he hasn't told you already how much we fought on that. In the end, those were both key pieces from the Cubs' perspective in order to get the deal done. And we understood going into this process that the only way we were going to secure, especially Kimbrell, was by having the, the best offer. In the end, that was the cost, as I discussed both with Nick and Cody during uh, what I'm sure they both felt were surprising phone calls and that I didn't necessarily anticipate making this morning, we made a conscious decision to prioritize today over for the distant future. Obviously, both Cesar 
and Craig are potentially under team control for next year. So we don't view this as a one and done situation with either player. But there was always going to come a point in the course of this rebuild process, as we had talked about from the start, when we had the opportunity to win and we had to respect those opportunities and we had to do everything in our powers of front office to maximize those opportunities. And it wasn't going to be easy. We've had to move players in the past that were one when we were at the 180 degree opposite point of this rebuild, that it wasn't easy to move established guys, guys you had long-term relationships with, but it was necessary to move the process forward. Today was sort of the diametric opposite of those deals we made back at the winter of 2016, moving players that we had different types of long-term relationships with back to drafting them or acquiring them as kids. Uh, but it was essential for us, we feel, to put us in the best position to take the most important and final step in this process. Listening to Rick Hahn talk there, he tells you about, you know, parting with Nick Madrigal and how it was difficult. Cody, Cody Hoyer as well, although clearly it's easier to go ahead and part with Cody Hoyer when you're, you have a like-for-like uh, like replacement in terms of position and you're actually upgrading with Craig Kimbrell over Hoyer. And I mentioned for Madrigal, too, you know, unfortunately for him, tearing his hamstring really, I think, made it easy to go ahead and move him this season because he wasn't going to be a contributor for them in the playoffs. And I think, honestly, while the Cubs are in a situation where they're looking at having five years of control with Nick Madrigal as a nice piece to a guy who's proven at the major league level that he can hit, I, as a White Sox fan, look at Nick Madrigal and how the White Sox haven't really skipped much of a beat without him in the lineup. The fact that even though people were hoping he could be a gold gold glove caliber defensive second baseman, I'm not necessarily sure that he has proven he can be anything close to that. Maybe an adequate defender, but not necessarily a gold glove caliber defender when you move a shortstop from second baseman, second base that you're hoping for. And then, you know, one of his key attributes that a lot of people like, the speed hasn't really been utilized on the bases in terms of stealing bases. Now, he's a good base runner, but he hasn't really stolen a lot of bases. He only had three in his career. And so if all he's going to do is bring some empty batting average, I think it was a good time to go ahead and move on from him when it lands you a guy who could certainly be one of the critical weapons that wins you a World Series. And I think that's exactly what Rick Hahn was thinking when he went ahead and made the move yesterday pairing with Jed Hoyer, getting together and making this cross-town trade. Greg is in Plainfield. He's joining me on White Sox Weekly here on ESP 1000. Hey, Greg, what's up? I have a question about the um, Field of Dreams game. Yes. In the movie, in the movie, the White Sox came out in their home white throwback uniforms. That was in that movie. So why is it that the Yankees are the home team this year? Who decided that? Is it because the Yankees are the Yankees? I was put out about that because I watched that movie, and it was the White Sox. Joe Shulis, Joe Jackson came out, and he was in his throwback 1919 uniform. That's it. So, uh, Greg, you know what? I'm going to break some news to you here, my friend. The White Sox are actually going to be the home game in the Field of Dreams game on Thursday, August 12th. They are indeed. Because now Friday... August 13th, and um, I'm sorry, uh, actually not Friday, but uh, on Saturday, August 14th, the Yankees and Sox will pick up their series at, at guaranteed rate. So the Thursday, August 12th Field of Dreams game that I think a lot of people are highly anticipating is going to take place uh, August 12th on Fox. But, and also, of course, you can hear it here on ESPN 1000, but the White Sox are going to be 
the home team. Oh, so there you go, well, Greg. Thank you. No problem, my pro- friend. In the promos, they show the Yankees with the home and the White Sox in the Grays. So yeah, so the Liz- promos. Yeah. I don't know exactly. I haven't looked up specifically who's going to be donning what uniform, Greg, but the White Sox will actually be classified as the home team. They will be batting last, so no fears there. The White Sox will be your home team. You're welcome, my friend. Hey, you know what? You could be in Iowa on August 12th. Now is your chance to win tickets to the MLB at Field of Dreams game and support White Sox charities at the same time. Don't miss out on the opportunity to attend this once-in-a-lifetime game. Visit whitesox.com slash field of dreams to find out more. I have to admit that is a game I am I really have thought about numerous ways to try and find my way to get there. Don't think it's gonna happen, unfortunately, because there are only eight thousand tickets. Um that were made available and to register for the lottery, you had to be a resident of Iowa. So, um, you know, if you want, again, check it out, uh, go ahead to the, uh, check it out on, uh, whitesex.com slash field of dreams to find out about it. If you would like an opportunity to try and win your way there and, uh, also help out white sex charities in the process. I, like I said, I'm really looking forward to that opportunity to uh, watch that game on television should be a great TV uh, made for TV event. And you know what? Great news is if for whatever reason you're out and about, can't make the time to clear it out of your schedule. You know what? Lock it right here on ESP 1000 and listen to Lennon DJ with the call. All right. We're talking about Craig Kimbrell a lot today. The huge addition that the White Sox made at the trade deadline. We've also uh, had a chance to hear from Brooks Boyer yesterday as he joined Captain Jay Hood. Jay Hood will be coming up at 530 with the White Sox pregame show. But Brooks Boyer uh, had a lot to tell White Sox fans out there who may be attending today's game or games in the future. Wanted to give uh, folks out there a lot of tips to be aware of because of the uh, COVID times that we're, we're living in. So I will let you hear some of the uh, key things that he brought up with Cap and Jay Hood yesterday here on ESPN 1000. Uh, we'll do that next here on the ESPN 1000 White Sox Network. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Jeff Meller taking you up to... White Sox pregame where Jonathan Hood will take over as the White Sox host the Cleveland Indians in the second of a three-game set at Guaranteed Rate Field. Take the family out to the ballgame this summer with a family four-pack. Gets four tickets, four hot dogs, four drinks, and four chips starting at just $59. For tickets, visit whitesox.com slash four-packs. Now, if you are heading out to the White Sox game tonight or any time in the future, There is the White Sox are dealing with plenty of issues now that they are moving back to full capacity. Brooks Boyer, who heads all things related to White Sox PR, joined Cap and Jay Hood yesterday. And he talked just uh, talked a little bit about what it means going back to the full capacity and the process that they're dealing with. It's certainly been a, a fun process to be part of, to go from. 25% 25% capacity to, 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 as it grew to get to where we are now. And, and, and with that, you know, we, we've had some challenges. One of them, uh, you know, being parking. You know, the reality is, is fan behavior has, has changed. And, uh, you know, more people are, are driving to the, to, to the ballpark. And, you know, we're taking measures this week 
to to address that. And and uh, you know, bear with me a little bit because we're excited about the players that are coming, but we want to get people in the park uh, as as smoothly as possible. So we've hired Uber to, to help us with uh, the, their logistics team to help us get people around and get people into the ballpark. So anybody with a parking pass, you know, whether it's a red pass or a green pass, they are parking on the north side of, of the uh, stadium uh, moving forward. And, and we will hold those spots for our reserved, uh, it's lot A, B, and C for reserved parkers. And anybody who is coming to the game, if, if you are buying parking for the day of the game when you get here, you're going to go to the south lots. So that's lots E, F, and L. Uh, easily accessible off of uh, 35th or you know exit Pershing or 37th coming from the south. We want to get people in here as as quickly as possible. But you know our reality is we have more cars coming than we have spots and and we have overflow lots at IIT. So if anybody is is coming late to the game and and your parking day of game, you might want to consider going to 31st and State. We will bus you over right to uh, to to the entrance. Uh, but we are. We're seeing a lot of enthusiastic fans, enthusiastic crowds, uh, and we anticipate uh, those continuing. We're just trying to make it as easy as possible for people to get in. So uh, some important tips for anyone who's heading to the game, just how you're handling parking, um, what the White Sox are trying to do to help accommodate all of their fans out there. Also, I know there's been some discussion about the lack of vendors and what what exactly is being done for the fans there. Brooks Boyer addressed that as well with Cap and Jay Hood. We've had some uh, challenges because we have no vendors uh, right now. Uh, based on, on you know, what we had promised the city, uh, you know, we, we, were, we were limiting contacts, and, and, and we will be bringing the vendors back. They will not be back for this weekend, uh, but we hope soon after this weekend we'll be able to bring the vendors back, the in-seat vendors. But there are three easy ways um, to, to, to get food, because with increased crowds, obviously we're seeing more activity in the concourse and, and, and the lines. Um, you know, we've added significantly more people. We have opened more stands and more, more portables. Uh, you can order off of the ballpark app. You can order and have food, beers, everything delivered to your seats. Uh, you can order off the app and go pick it up at a concession stand. You know, or if 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 you just like the old ballpark feel, you can you can walk up and uh, into the concession lines and and get what you need. But uh, we are you know we've we've heard from our fans and 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 understand that we've had some challenges in in these areas as as crowds have swelled and you know we're facing the same thing a lot of other businesses are facing of of making sure we can get enough people out here to to service our fans and and to create the best experience we possibly can and uh we've we've certainly taken all of that to heart and and we are working to make the the experience the best it possibly can be uh starting tonight. Again, the uh, Senior Vice President of Sales and Marketing, Brooks Boyer, with uh, Cap and Jay Hood yesterday giving White Sox fans the rundown on parking. And also, you know, I know that some fans have been a little disgruntled about the ability to get to the great concession stands. As a White Sox fan, that's one of my favorite things to do when you're going to guarantee rate is to take, uh, go ahead and see what you can find, walk around the uh, concourse level and just smell the great odors there and find what you want. You know, you can, there's numerous 
things to go and eat and enjoy. So it's good to hear that um, the White Sox are hearing some of the issues, the problems that we're all dealing with during these COVID times. And so it was uh, good to hear Brooks address that. Also, a little note from Brooks Boyer talking about just how much fun this White Sox team is. And maybe maybe it is the uh, if you're on the fence about what you uh, you maybe you're a young fan and on the fence about what team to cheer for these days. Uh, you know what? Brooks Boyer is uh, he's got his uh, he's got some uh, he's got his eye on exactly who he wants to bring over to the south side. Dude, the infiltration is real. You know, all those Cub fan dads and moms that are listening out there, we're coming for your kids. We're coming for your kids. I got two. I got. I tell you what. I got two high-profile kids. Uh, you know, Mason. Mason is is my guy. And you know, Danny was just telling me. He's, you know, he's 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 semi heartbroken, but you know, I could hear it in his voice, guys. He's he's kind of turning the corner too. Yeah. You know, he's. He, but you know, as I told him, I said, I'm coming for your kids. And of course, uh, Danny would be Danner's, Danny Zetterman, the executive producer of Cap and J Hood. His son Avery uh, is starting to be pulled over to the uh, good guys in the South Side because, of course, why? Well, how could you deny it? If you're a kid, this is the fun team to watch. So why wouldn't you watch them? And of course, you mentioned Mason, uh, young Mason Silverman, Sylvie from Waddle and Sylvie's son, uh, is definitely a diehard White Sox fan already. So good to hear that the White Sox are breaking through, and uh, hopefully, it continues with the run of success that I I expect for this team to come and with the additions of players like Craig Kimbrell, Cesar Hernandez, Ryan Tapera, uh they are arming Tony La Russa with all the weapons that he should need going forward so hopefully they can make a deep run. I do think what is crazy is that when you look at what was done in the American League East, you saw the additions that the Yankees made. Uh, I, I noted some of them earlier and also what the uh, Blue Jays did, adding Jose Barrios, the Rays making their deal for Nelson Cruz, and the Red Sox already atop that division, adding Kyle Schwarber. That division is going to be an absolute bloodbath, which is just great news for the White Sox because as we come down the stretch here, the White Sox will have lots of games with the American League Central, which is basically rolling over and playing dead. And so we just have to wade through these next two months. And with the White Sox certainly in position to capitalize, they're just a couple games back for the best record in the American League. I'm hoping that they can go ahead and play it out, take advantage of the games remaining with the Indians, Tigers, Royals, and Twins, and really make some hay and take advantage of that, knowing that the Red Sox, Rays, Yankees, and Blue Jays will be beating up on each other and hopefully make clearing the path for a White Sox a home field advantage in the American League playoffs, that would be just a nice little feather in their cap as well if you consider what they've already done. And then with players like Luis Robert hopefully on the way back soon, and hopefully Eloy Jimenez comes back quickly from this groin injury. Hopefully an injured list stint is not needed. We did hear from Tony La Russa earlier saying that he's hopeful that he can return fairly soon and avoid the injured list so that would be certainly great news uh, because we saw how important he can be to that lineup we saw on Tuesday with the uh, home run that was helpful in beating the Royals at Kauffman Stadium so it'd be great to have Eloy back on a regular basis and of course Luis Roberts soon as well hopefully we get him back and uh, all things will be right in White Sox world all right, I'm Jeff Meller. This is White Sox Weekly. Jonathan Hood is standing by, getting set to lead you up to first pitch as the White Sox and Indians 
take on each other at Guaranteed Rate Field. Dallas Keuchel on the hill for the White Sox against Tristan McKenzie. Want to say thanks to the executive producer, Ryan McGuire. Thanks as well to Eric Ostrowski and Sean Davis for making this thing hum. I'm Jeff Meller. Thanks for listening. Jonathan Hood is up next with White Sox pregame show.